0: Today on the podcast, we're diving back into the art of productivity, and who better to guide us than a returning favourite, Dermot Crowley. Alright leaders, you know the drill, our inboxes are overflowing, our calendars are a testament to -to back-to-back meetings, but there's a better way to navigate through these waters, a way that's about leading with purpose and sustainability, and not just speed. What if we could lead in a way that's not about doing more, but about doing better, and in a way that lasts? We're going to explore the kind of productivity that doesn't just chase deadlines, but chases greatness, and how leaders can build a great balance that allows us and our teams to thrive, focus on what we love, and to find a rhythm that brings out the best in all of us. Hello? Hi. We'll do it live. Do it live! I'll write it and we'll do it live. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lift off. Joining me on the phone today is Dermot Crowley, a man who's been in the trenches of productivity for over 25 years. He's not just about quick fixes, he's about building sustainable productivity systems that stand the test of time. Dermot's going to share his holistic approach to productivity that aligns personal and organizational goals, helping leaders navigate their team through a sea of tasks and emerge with a clear vision for success. So whether you've been pondering how to reduce stress and anxiety for your team, or how to find that sweet spot of the work-life balance we're all looking for, Dermot's insights are going to give you the tools to shift from being busy to being impactful. So let's dive into a conversation that's all about making space for what matters most. Dermot, welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. Thank you. It's been it's been a while and very excited to be back. Yeah, last time you were here um you had just written I think urgent. It was that there was the book that came out and then uh I, I still reference that conversation that I had with people all the time. There was a story you told about the email subject lines of urgent, urgent, important and I, I make that reference all the time and, and re- reflect back on that conversation. <laughs> I still um I still get a
1: lot of uh value out having that conversation with organizations and it it is still my passion. Subject as it were, just get me on to urgency cultures and organisations, and, and I can't stop talking about
0: it. I mean, normally what I would do is start with some fast facts, but people have probably um have been listening; they they can go back and listen to your last episode and get those fast facts to introduce the podcast. I obviously did the official formal bio, which is I don't know if you when you're a keynote speaker when they're reading out your bio, you sit there and you have to pretend like you didn't write it yourself, um, <laughs> which I think is a fun moment. But I mean, if you were to describe the work that you do in your own words in a way that uh, yeah. Gives people a bit of a quick snapshot of who you are. How would you talk about yourself?
1: Sure. Well, uh, look, I've been I've been doing this for uh, over twenty five years now, and running my own business for twenty one of those years. Over those years, my focus has always been firmly on productivity, and productivity for me is uh, both a, a personal uh, consideration. So, I work with individuals on the personal productivity. But it's also a uh, it's a team and an organizational consideration as well, so i'm I'm often working with teams on on the the group productivity and and the productivity cultures. So I've got quite a holistic approach to productivity, and I also feel that productivity these days certainly needs to be more than just getting more out of your resources. Uh, I think that um, what I really like to work on is what I would call sustainable productivity. So how can we help people to do more and get more done, but in a sustainable way that is balanced and reduces um, stress and anxiety for them, uh, allows them to have a balance both in their their work, but also a work-life balance. And allows them to work on the things that they really love to work on, rather than feeling like every day is just a a constant deluge of emails and meetings and visits.
0: I would love to know what you're seeing at the moment. We're obviously we're a little bit kind of on the other side of you know COVID and that pandemic. And one of the conversations I'm having regularly with people at the moment is they're kind of pulling people back to the office. They're deciding whether they can work from home, and right now, the big emphasis from a lot of people is on what's their productivity? Can they be productive at home? Do they need to be in the office to be productive? And productivity is is just the word that people, people uh, just keep pushing at the moment. But I really like that you kind of introduced this emphasis in there. Is it's not just productivity, but sustainable productivity. I mean, what, what are you seeing? What are the conversations you're having with people at the moment?
1: Well, look, I, I think there's been two major aftertastes that have been left um, after COVID. And they are probably an increase in email communications and communications in general. So it's not just email, but it's Microsoft Teams messages or it's instant messaging of some form. So people are quite overwhelmed by that. And also the volume of meetings and that they're expected to attend. And while there were always productivity issues, um, COVID kind of put us in a situation where people were working remotely. So there was a need or people felt a need for more control. So they introduced a lot more activity to give people a sense of, of um, oversight and, and control. So we had more meetings and we had more, more communications. And, and that hasn't gone away, even though We've gone back to a much more normal way of working, whether it be hybrid or whether people are fully back in the office. That hasn't gone away, and and now we're trying to deal with the uh, the the negative effects of that. I reckon. Uh, actually, Alan Kohler, um, the ABC financial journalist, um, just did a little piece last week um, on the, the productivity report that was given to government recently and, and you know, the fact that productivity and when, when he thinks about productivity, he's talking about from a macro point of view. There was a whole range of reasons why productivity has been declining in the Australian workplace um, for the last few decades. And this huge report was given to government with lots of reasons why productivity was declining. But um, Alan Kohler said the two key reasons he thought that productivity was declining weren't even mentioned in that report report and they were the volume of emails and the number of meetings so it's quite interesting that there is a lot of conversation around this at the moment
0: it makes sense that there's a lot of conversation around it the thing that i'm thinking about is when you talk about productivity and especially the work that you do the outcomes or the results of productivity uh, of getting better at productivity makes sense to a potential leader or business owner which is we can do more and i feel like that's a very singular focus around productivity, I guess if we we're talking about the why behind productivity from your perspective, is it more than just getting people to do more? I, I think it is definitely.
1: And, and I think, you know, maybe COVID has been a part of this. I think we all had a period where we had to really deeply reflect on why am I doing this? You know, we all had a taste of maybe work-life balance and, and being able to work from home or maybe work a four day week and and feel like we we actually had some space in our world to focus on other things other than work. And so a lot of people questioned, you know, if I'm if I'm going to move forward, how do I want to work? How do I work in a way that suits me? Now, I don't think that's a selfish thing. I don't think people are looking for a way of working one day a week and then having, you know, six days where they're at the beach, but my belief is people want to do the work that they love. They want to feel like they're adding value and they want to feel appreciated and that has always been more important than money or status or any of those things. So I I reckon that um one of the 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 key focuses of any productivity intervention has to be, how do we help our people to do more of the things that they are good at doing, that they love doing, and that really have impact for the organization? And I just think there's too many people who are sick of feeling like every day is just another urgent issue that they need to deal with, or another hundred emails that have come in or an endless stream of of unproductive meetings and just chew up their time.
0: So well said. I really like that idea of if we can get productivity done right, it gives us the the capacity to do more of the things that are going to have the impact that we we want to make. When I think back of um, over your work, you've always got some great books. We talked about Urgent, which is the kind of topic of our last episode. But you've also got Smart Teams and Smart Work, and now. There's a, a new book coming out. And like all good things, like any great movie, things come in trilogies, term it. This is this is like the third of, of a of a trilogy and it's called Lead Smart. Now, when I see smart teams, I see smart work, I go, is there another book in that? And Lead Smart comes out. And I mean, what's what's the what's the third book doing that? the first two aren't already doing. So this is,
1: this is my Lord of the Rings, I reckon. This is my, 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 my trilogy. And it was always the intention, or at least I think when I wrote Smart Work, I was probably a little more confined in my thinking and, and I was trying to write about personal productivity, which is what I had always um, dealt with. And it was only when I wrote Smart Work, I realized that there was a whole world of productivity-related issues that needed to be addressed. That were beyond personal productivity. They were about productivity culture. So I suppose it was after writing Smart Work that I I had the seed planted that there was possibly a trilogy that needed to be written. But from that point on, I'd always had this vision that I would write Smart Work, Smart Teams, and then Lead Smart. Urgent came along as a, a little a bit of a um a blip in in, in that journey because our smart teams about productivity cultures and the the three core cultures that I talked about were uh, your email and communication culture your meeting culture and your collaboration culture but urgency was a, a little subsection within that book And it was only when I wrote that little subsection, I kind of realized afterwards, and this always happens, you write a book and then you you realize that it it could have been different. I realized that now urgency was actually a culture as well, but it was such a, a driving culture in most organizations that it probably did deserve its own book. So I decided to write that next, but I was always going to come back to Lead Smart. To answer your question, what does this do differently? I was very careful not to just regurgitate the smart work content for the leadership level. When I work with leaders, quite often they need exactly the same strategies that anyone in an organization needs, and and they often face exactly the same sort of problems. So they're overwhelmed with email and they need to manage their inbox better. They have a, a busy schedule and they need to be able to manage their time and their priorities better, and they have goals and objectives to achieve, so they need to be able to plan and prioritize better. But when I came to write Lead Smarter, I really thought about how do we elevate that message and and think about the specific productivity issues that the leadership tends to face. And and they would be, number one, way, 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 way too much time in meetings and no balance in their week. And so, you know, quite often when I work with leadership teams, they tell me that they spend 80 to 90% of their core working hours in meetings, and then then they're catching up on 200 emails. And then they're getting the laptop out after dinner to catch up on their real priorities. So there's a, a real lack of balance. There's often an overwhelming volume of emails. So it, it tends to be that at the very top of the organization, they, they can be getting the most communications because they've got a wider group who, who potentially feeds into them. But the, the key message that I wanted to talk about with Lead Smart is the idea that productivity is actually a leadership issue. But I don't believe that it's seen as a leadership issue in most organizations. It's taken for granted. And often when I talk to leaders, they say, yeah, we want you to come in and run some training for our team because they need to be more organized. And I'm kind of go, no, 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 it starts with you. You need to be more organized as well. And I kind of think about leadership as a rope. A rope has multiple strands that that make it up. And, you know, there's lots of things that a leader needs to think about. There's vision and the strategy and there's um stakeholder management and and all sorts of stuff but leader uh, sorry yeah productivity is one of the strands in the role and i'm i guess i'm making the case that productivity isn't just one of the leadership strands it's actually a core central strand and it should be something that leaders work on for themselves and for their team
0: constantly. I love the the idea that like the things that, you know, most of the time are the things that we think other people need to improve on are probably just the reflection of the mirror we're looking at. I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the age old quote that everything rises and falls on leadership. But I would see that a lot from people saying, Oh, my team need this, or this person on my team needs this and can be completely oblivious to the fact that they're a a big component of that. I mean, what, what are the blinkers? Why are we good at looking at other people and seeing what they need, but Potentially not so great in our own leadership capacity, looking at ourselves. I
1: think when it comes to leaders and productivity, we've got to recognize that they are usually reasonably well organized. They've got to be to work at that level so that you don't get to a senior leadership level without being some way organized. But the problem is they fall into the trap of thinking that that's good enough. You know, a common friend of ours, and um, Cameron Schwab, is a, a well-known or was a, a well-known football administrator in, in AFL and, and uh, those circles. I had a conversation with him a couple of years ago where we he was talking about the word elite. And he said that the the word elite is thrown around a lot in in AFL circles and probably in all sporting circles. But he said most players are not actually elite. Even when they get to that level, they're not elite. They're good and they certainly are talented and they deserve to be there. But most teams would maybe have two or three players that could truly say that they operate at the elite level. And I think the same is true of of leaders and, and productivity, that usually the productivity is good. It's acceptable. It, it, it gets them by, that's fine, but it's not elite. And and that's what I'm trying to do with, with LeadSmart is to get them to think about, you know, what would, if you leveled up your productivity, what would elite really look like? And that can be a, a really, really good mind shift for a lot of leaders. It doesn't take a, a huge amount of extra effort, but what it does is it, it gets them out of the the situation where they're extremely busy and gets them into a situation where they're much more intentional about how they use their their time, their energy, and their focus. And that gets better results for them and for everyone around them.
0: I, I want to go back just quickly to the, the conversation we were having before about the, the leader that's in meetings all day. I see that so often where people are, they're looking at their calendar and they go every single day is just back-to-back meetings, which means the only time that I have to do work is when I get home. And then they're working out of hours, they're feeling run down and tired. And I, I often say to them like, I'm like, how how can you cut back on some of the meetings and they just they keep saying i can't do this do you see this kind of it almost feels like a helplessness from people they're going they want to change but they just feel completely helpless and powerless to change it i
1: see a lot of and, and i want to be i want to be careful that this doesn't sound too harsh but i see a lot of victim mentality when it comes to not only their schedules but also their inboxes so the same problem applies if they say look i'm getting 300 emails a day there's nothing i can do about it it's too much though yes there's lots you can do about it and and there is there's a lot that you can do about your your schedule if it's if it's what i call compressed so that's one of the big problems though leaders have these very compressed schedules where they're just constantly back to back i was on the plane last night flying back from brisbane and the guy across the aisle from me had his laptop out and and I could see his calendar and he was scrolling forward over the next few weeks and that there literally wasn't a crack of daylight for for a month and it was it was nauseating you know for me to look at that, but that's kind of normal for a lot of senior people so what can they do about it um Well, I think the first thing that they need to do is to draw a line in the sand or what I might call a line on the kettle. If you think about a a kettle for boiling water, if you look on the inside of the, the kettle, there's usually a line that says, do not fill above this mark. I think that's what we need to do with our schedules. We need to decide what is the percentage of my core working hours that I'm happy to give over to fixed time commitments like meetings. And what is the percentage of my time that I will fight to protect for number one, getting my other priorities done. Number two, doing administration, as boring as this sounds, but we need time to deal with emails and, and approvals and all of that. But thirdly, to be available to my team, because often senior leaders are criticised because they're never available because they're always in meetings. Finally, I think they also need time to think and plan. And then when I talk to leaders and I say, you know, what are you not getting time to do? They will often say to me, I'm I'm just not getting time to think. Or when I'm thinking, it's in the shower. It's when I'm walking the dog. It's when I'm with the kids on the weekend instead of focusing on them.
0: Especially because we're having this conversation from moving into the leader's responsibility, the leadership perspective around productivity. I'm running a a program or I'm running an online coaching program and we've got a couple of cohorts that have been going through. And one of the questions that we ask on week number one is what percentage of your time as a leader is spent doing transactional work versus doing strategic work? How much of your work is, is output quantity and how much of it is outcome quality. And on average, most people are saying 30% strategic, 70% transactional, which I think is over uh, being generous in terms of like, if you were to give the answer, it's probably just bumping it up a little bit. I would say probably most of their work, 80% of their work is just transactional day-to-day work. And so I asked them, I said, okay, so what would it look like if you just took 30 minutes and put it in your calendar at the start of your week. And you went, you know, some of them are business owners, some of them in, went down to your local cafe before you went to work and spent 30 minutes and just thought about the future. And the the look of shock and horror on people's faces that they said, if my team knew that I was doing that, I would feel so embarrassed because they were like, you can't have that space and be the leader. And this is something that I'm hearing quite a lot. Are you seeing anything like that yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I,
1: I think that leaders should not feel ashamed for thinking. Like they almost hide their thinking away. And yet it's what you get paid to do more than anything else, potentially. I reckon that when it comes to, you know, having space in your schedule as a senior leader, I think there's a journey that should happen that often doesn't happen. So when you start working as a junior worker, you probably don't have a very heavy meeting workload because that's probably not the nature of your role. Okay, there's going to be some technical roles that will be very meeting driven, but most of the time as a junior person, you don't have that many meetings. And then as you become a manager and a people leader and you're kind of in the middle of the organisation, the the bell curve would go up and, and you would spend a lot of your time in meetings. But then as you become a senior leader, it should taper off again. And I would like to see senior leaders doing less, meetings than they might have done 10 years ago when they were a middle manager. But often that's not the case. The curve kind of goes up and then it kind of either keeps going up or at least it plateaus at a very high level of meetings. So, you know, I guess one of the things that I try to talk to leaders about is you need to actually take the space and you need to not be ashamed of that and you need to lead by example and your peers and and the people who are coming up um, and below you should be looking at you and going okay that's that's what a senior leader who's effective does One of my clients uh, shared this story with me, which is actually one of the catalysts for writing this book, the way I wrote it. He he was a coaching client and he was a senior executive in a large organization in Melbourne. And he said the day that he realized he needed help to go to the next level with his productivity was the day that he bumped into the CEO of his organization in in the corridor. So if you can imagine Andy was maybe two levels below the CEO. So he was pretty senior, but he, he wasn't at that executive level. And he bumped into the ceo and, and um, uh, the ceo said oh andy great to see you how are you going blah, blah blah and then the ceo said to him um, you know what we should catch up for coffee i'd love to really you know understand what's going on for you at the moment and andy said fantastic i'd love to and he said uh, should i get my ea to reach out to your ea and make a time and the ceo went nah no nah, no nah. i've got my phone here look I, i'm i've got some time tomorrow morning if you want to catch up then And Andy's heart dropped when he looked at his schedule and he wasn't actually available for three weeks. And that's when he knew that the CEO operated differently to him and he needed to level up his game now if he wanted to go to that level at some stage.
0: I love that story. That is a perfect example of this desire to want to feel productive by looking busy and there are two very different things: the person who looks busy versus the person who's productive. I read this article a few a few years back, and it was called "The Conspicuous Consumption of time." I'm not sure if you've you've heard or read it, but those who are listening it was this idea that um, if you go back twenty thirty years. Um, They talked about the conspicuous consumption of money, which is how people perceive or see how you spend money. And so what people would do is spend money on artwork and rare things to demonstrate their wealth. And so it was the conspicuous consumption of money. And they said there's the shift to the conspicuous consumption of time, which is how other people perceive our time. And like artwork was rare, it had higher value. Therefore, if my time is rare, it has higher value. Like if I caught up with you and said, you know, Hey, we should catch up. And you go, Oh, when are you available? Go, Oh, I've only got 15 minutes this week at this certain time. They go, Oh, your time must be very valuable. And therefore I have this conspicuous consumption of time, which gives me prestige. I want to know, do you think people secretly maybe like being perceived as busy or just they feel stuck in a rut maybe it's a bit of both I'm not sure it's probably a bit of both
1: i had this conversation with a client um, uh, leadership team that i was working with recently and and, th- and they were remarking on how you know when they got into the lift and they'd meet one of the more junior people in their team and they'd say to that person how are you going the response 99 percent of the time was oh really busy so you know, busy, and they were frustrated by this as a leader because it's not actually the question I'm asking you. I want to know how you are as a human. And it's almost like these people wore busyness as a badge of honor. I think that that's one of the mindsets that we need to um, shift away from. And, and I think as leaders, unfortunately, we actually demonstrate that behavior for the people and, that we're working with. So when they see us being really busy, then they assume well that's what great looks like and leaders i think need to move away from the mindset that you have to be really busy to be a senior leader no you don't you actually need to dial it down a bit and you need to be highly effective as a senior leader,
0: but busyness and effectiveness are
1: two completely different things.
0: Yeah, I love that distinction. Busyness is not effectiveness. And one of the things I think it's easy to fall in the trap of, maybe it's an old, old style of thinking, but I definitely have heard the phrase from time to time and not in a healthy way, oh, you just need to increase your capacity. Because obviously you've got a capacity issue. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so one of the things I talk about in the book
1: is, is a, a concept that I call capacity erosion. So, you know, I do have this conversation constantly with clients where they say, you know, our team are under a lot of pressure to deliver. We need to do more with less. And, the, you know, sometimes they're complaining that we don't have enough resources to, there's just too much work to to do and and while that all might be true, the first thing I say is, well let's have a look at the capacity of your team and and whether they're facing capacity erosion. so if you can imagine the total capacity that a, an individual or a team can deliver is is it's going to be a, a finite thing and and it's really driven by our time, which is a finite resource our energy and our focus or our attention. So they're all finite resources. So we can can only produce um, so much. That's our capacity. But that total capacity gets eroded in two ways. So first of all, there's an internal erosion, which comes from people just not being organized or having good systems in place around how they manage their own work and that's the personal productivity thing so generally when I work with a team on their personal productivity when they get better at organizing their time and their priorities when they get better at managing their email and their communications when they get better at planning and, and prioritizing that minimizes the internal erosion that comes from just being disorganized and and reactive and and busy rather than being productive but then there's also an external erosion that happens because people often work in unproductive cultures so you know you could be the most organized person that i've ever met but if you're not working in a large organization that is very, very meeting driven and there's a pressure on you to be constantly involved in meetings and you feel like you've got no agency, that you just have to attend those meetings, that's going to erode your capacity to get other work done. If you're facing a deluge of 300 emails a day which sounds a lot, but it's kind of, it's so normal in some organizations, that is going to erode your capacity to get stuff done. If you're constantly dealing with urgency and reactivity or you're collaborating on projects, but people haven't thought about how to collaborate productively, there's a lot of friction that is created that actually slows you down, just like the brakes on a, a car create friction to slow the car down. These cultures slow us down and they erode our capacity to produce work. So that's why I really believe that in order to create sustainable productivity, we need to make sure that our our people, number one, have good personal productivity skills. Number two, they need to work in healthy, productive cultures. And number three, leaders need to lead productivity constantly it's not just the training course it's a it's a it's a constant focus for a leader to think about the health and the productivity of the overall
0: team yeah I really like that response that one of the things I I would love to do is people who feel like they're stuck in that repeating pattern or that hamster wheel who I, I would imagine probably listening right now going I agree with all of this like, I know that I probably need to get better at this. They look at their calendar and it's full for the next three weeks. They look at their meetings, even their own team meetings. Like uh, they might even look at the meetings they're running with their teams, going, I'm running too many meetings. Probably the word again is that helplessness that people feel. Is there some things that we could do that are like an accessible point of entry for people that are pr- really practical things that they can do that just get them almost the space to start thinking about this a little bit more? So when it
1: comes to meetings, I reckon two things that are really practical and really effective. Number one, I I, I want to be really clear here. Meetings are a highly effective way to get some work done. So I don't want to make meetings out to be the bad guy. We need meetings, but we need to use them in a more purposeful way, because if we don't, they are a very luxurious and decadent way to waste time because we're wasting group time. That said, I reckon that we should have 100% less meetings in our role. Now, what I mean by that is we could easily have 25% fewer meetings if we got more ruthless about the meetings that we really needed to have. We could easily have 25% shorter meetings if we thought about the agenda for the meeting and really thought about how much time is needed for this instead of going with the default one hour or 45 minute uh, time slot. We could easily have 25% fewer people in meetings if we were more mindful about who really needs to be there and who could just be uh, an interested party that is updated about decisions that were made or actions that might be uh, required. And finally, you could easily have 25% less wasted time in meetings if you actually organize them properly with an agenda. Now, I'm being facetious, but that adds up to 100% less meetings to make. It's a mindset thing. It's, you don't have to clear your whole schedule. You just need to make a few tweaks on different aspects of meetings and suddenly you begin to free up space. So, so that'd be number one. The second thing you can do off the back of that is I often like to get executives who say to me, look, you know, I'm just booked out for the next few weeks and there's not a lot of room for movement there. You know, I think they're all things I need to attend. I kind of say to them, "Okay, let's look at it again. I'm not sure that you've been ruthless enough. So what we do is we look back over the last four weeks of meetings in their calendar and I get them to evaluate every meeting and, and ask themselves some simple questions. Was that meeting a good use of my time? Was I really required to be at that meeting or could someone else have been there? Did it need to take as long as it did? And was it organized well? And did it achieve the productive outcomes that it should have achieved? So you know, just a few questions to, to evaluate the, the effectiveness and the quality of that meeting. And I get them to go back through every meeting over the past four weeks and just make some notes to themselves. That's the, that's the hindsight piece. Then what I get them to do is to look forward over the next four weeks and start making some decisions based on their hindsight. And and people will normally be more ruthless and start going, you know what? I probably don't need to be in that meeting. You know what? That's been scheduled for an hour and a half. I'm not sure we need that. Or you know what? I've been invited to that meeting. I'm not even sure what the outcome or the purpose of the meeting is meant to be. So I need to send an email to someone to say, hey, can you tell me what that's about? Because if it's not a good use of my time, I might need to make a different decision.
0: That's a pretty bold thing to do. I I think it's fantastic. I was working with a team recently and we were obviously, uh, the work that I do is helping them define some of the kind of aspirations and what they want to create within their culture. And we were having this conversation with them and they said, oh, we've just got a really like... Unproductive meeting culture. We just do too many meetings. And we were like, well, how do we change that? And I think their biggest thing was they didn't know, they were just invited to meetings. And they kind of came up with this, uh, I guess, behavioral commitment that they said, every calendar invite for a meeting is going to start with this is a meeting to context, was a blank for the context, so that blank outcome. And it was just a one sentence thing at the beginning of every calendar email. And it, it seemed really good. But what, one of the things I loved about that is they actually said, as a leadership team, they said, this is not going to work if we accept meetings that don't have that. And they said, so our commitment is less about the tagline at the start of the event invitation, but it's declining the ones that don't have it and asking either for them to rewrite it or resend it with if, when, when it does have it. And they said, this entire thing is going to be made make or break based on our ability to leaders as, as leaders to be able to lead this. Yeah. and look, I would say that
1: that and that strategy or a variation of that strategy is a single One thing that organizations could do that would dramatically increase the effectiveness of their meeting culture is just insisting that every meeting invitation has some form of the purpose of this meeting is to achieve the following outcomes. If if everyone consistently did that, it would really make a difference because what that does is it forces the meeting organizers to really think through: Do I need a meeting for this, or or what? You know, if we are going to have a meeting, what do we need to achieve? But it also allows the meeting participants or invitees to make a decision about whether they're actually the right person to be in that or, or whether they need to be there so it's just good basic hygiene around meetings but you know as you said I, I really think that leaders need to lead from the front in this and the minute leaders start why they hunting this by not following it themselves then why would anyone else so there's a couple of overarching principles and um, when it comes to how to lead productivity in your team. And the first would be, first of all, do no harm. So the the doctor's creed is first, do no harm. Um, I think the same is true for leaders, you know, don't be the one that is causing productivity friction for your team because you're busy and you're delegating things at the last minute or you're pulling people into meetings constantly and at the last minute. All of those things do harm to people's productivity. So first, do no harm. And then second, create a, a culture where respectful negotiation is not only permitted, but actually encouraged. So people need to be able to put up their hand and say, hey, I don't think this median is a good use of my time. And they shouldn't be penalized for that or get into trouble for it if it's a reasonable decision that they've made. And it's a negotiation, so we're not saying, you know, to people just say no to every meeting invitation. Uh, it's, it's about being purposeful and about feeling like you've got agency and also having the permission to call each other out because this is all about accountability. It's about being personally accountable, but it's also about um, holding each other to account. So that means that if you were my leader, I should be allowed to say to you, Shane, you are not following the team agreements that we've all agreed to and that's causing issues for our productivity and you as a leader should be able to go okay fair cop i need to get better at this when that doesn't happen, then you're never going to get the cultural change that's required to create that sustainable.
0: I think there's a sore point there. It's like, I think if I was to poke a leader at their meeting schedule or their their calendar or their... Because the way I see it often worked out is that usually the... The ones that are most important, those meetings, those one-on-ones with your team, they're the ones that get bumped because they've been pulled into another meeting. And I've lost track of how many times a team member said to me, oh, my leader never makes time for me. We always schedule our one-on-one and then at last minute, they're like, sorry, I got pulled into an urgent meeting that I can't get out of. And then my one-on-one gets bumped to the next week. But I would suggest that if I I suggest to someone that, that they need to... A, a, like address that it's almost like touching a, a wound or pushing on a bruise and it re- requires it it has a very strong response from people i think
1: you know leaders know they should be operating at a more again to use this phrase at a more elite level around this stuff but they're also human and and they're vulnerable and and they they beat themselves up about it, it doesn't necessarily change the behavior but they feel bad about it and that's why it's a sore point But I reckon leaders need to recognize that they've got a brand and their brand is always on show. And every time they cancel a one-on-one meeting or every time that they let an email that they needed action slip through the cracks, these are all things that people look at and go, yeah, that's not great. That's not helpful. And your brand as a leader can be diminished because you're, you're operating at a, an adequate level of productivity, but not operating at an elite level of productivity. So um, I think it's it's really healthy for leaders to to you know be honest and, and say, yeah, I need to get better at this because I'm a really good leader. And I'm really good technically at what we do, but productivity is something that I've kind of coupled together over the years. I've got a system, but it's it's okay, but it's not great. And it needs to be great because otherwise I don't do everything else as well as I should.
0: I reckon when it comes to, like most things, when a leader gets better at something, everyone lifts with them. And so if you can take the time to invest in this, your team get better as a consequence, as opposed to going. Well, my team should just get better at this, and I'm going to invest all my time on them. Because I often find the inverse of that's true is when the leader chooses not to get better, or when the leader continues to perpetuate behaviours, then the whole team suffers as a consequence around them.
1: And when they when they demonstrate good behaviours, the whole team lifts and 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 follows. So. I I ran a a training session for a leadership team in in Brisbane yesterday and the CEO of the organization was in that session. So I had had the CEO and and the the top 25 leaders and, you know, we we were talking about something very mundane and basic, which was email management. And I set them the aspiration of getting their inboxes down to zero. And at the end of the session, the CEO stood up and said, guys, my inbox is now at zero over to you. And I thought that was fantastic leadership. She said, I've I've heard, Dermot, I've taken this idea on and I've executed it already. I'd love if we all did that. And I reckon a lot more of them will do it because they kind of say, well, if she can do it, we could all do.
0: And that is ultimately, I think, a perfect example of the essence of this book around lead smart. I think we can work out how can I get, improve my personal productivity or even my team's productivity. But if I can lead productivity, it's going to influence my entire team and potentially even further within the business. So This has been a really helpful conversation. I mean, if I was to give you maybe like a little soapbox to stand on and you you had a whole bunch of leaders, they're leading teams, they're maybe even in that state of going, well, my team needs to develop their productivity. What's the soapbox that you stand on if you were to Speak directly to them for maybe 30 or 60 seconds. What would you want to say to them? So
1: first of all, leadership is, is very much um, uh, in your remit and you need to take responsibility for the, the highly productive behaviors of your team or the less than productive behaviors of your team. It is not just their fault if they are not productive. It's, it's your responsibility as well. So take um, leadership, uh, take productivity seriously as a leadership issue. And what better use of your time, energy and focus as a leader than increasing the capacity of your team and helping them to work productively in a sustainable way that is also balanced and less stressful for them. So that, that'll be the, the certainly the first thing I would say. And then the second thing I would say is it all starts with you and it spirals out from you and it, it it flows good productivity while it might start with you in the center, it then flows out to your direct leadership team and then it flows out to your wider team. But I would say it also flows out to your peers and the other teams in your organization. So, If you wanted to truly allow productivity to flourish in your team, you need to be the one who stands up for productivity in your organization. And you need to be the the champion of productivity and you need to be the leading light. So when other teams look at your team, they go, those guys are so productive. How can we be like them? Someone's got to stand up and do that. And and I reckon that um, if every leader just kind of, got excited about the, the potential of that, then we would see all boats lift with the same tide.
0: What I love about that is is if you if you do all the things that you've been saying, not only are you more effective, but you have more time to focus on the things that have the most impact. And ultimately, your quality of life gets better. So you've got effectiveness, you've got impact, and you've got quality of life all improved by making the decision as a leader to say, I'm going to take responsibility for this and start to lead this, which I think is the the goal for all of us. This has been such a a helpful, I was going to say this has been such a productive conversation. It's been a, I mean, it's a helpful and productive conversation. And I know uh, this new book, Lead Smart, um, How to Build and Lead Highly Productive Teams, is going to be the the third part of the trilogy, which people are going to love. And so they can pick that up in all good bookstores now and online. Where are the best, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Go to our website, which is
1: uh, adaptproductivity.com.au. My contact details are on there. You know google me or, or any of the smart books you'll you'll, you'll find landing pages that will have our details as well or connecting me through linkedin and um, derma Crowley's there's not too many dermats out there which is really good so you should be able to find me but it's derma with one t everyone in australia spells derma with two t's and that is because of derma brereton the afl footy player He's messed it up for
0: the rest of us. <laughs> I would really encourage people to, to reach out to you because I think the strategies that you do, I think uh, in terms of the grand scheme of lots of people who can help your business, leadership coaches and experts, and you're the you're the person that can legitimately take a person and go, I'm going to give you back time. And time is our most precious commodity. And so of all the people that you should be considering to bring into your business to go, hey, w- what should we be focusing on? Bring in someone who's going to give you back time so that you can spend more of the time doing the things that matter. And so absolutely encourage you to reach out to Dermot and, uh, and connect with you. Dermot, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Shane. Really appreciate it. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.